Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. And this is Eric. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of finding out that things that you always thought were the same aren't anymore. Oops. Oh. This week we're welcoming Eric back to the fold for a short period of time because he's going to give us the lowdown on some of the enemies of the Bureau that are now going to have some things change once the Bureau goes public. This is our final installment of the Bureau 13 Goes Public. Yay! (laughs) Which is where we hypothesize that an Omega-level threat causes the Bureau to become public, and everybody now knows that the Bureau exists, or not the Bureau exists, but the supernatural exists, and there is an agency policing it, The Bureau says, okay, fine, the cat's out of the bag. We're going to start operating on a more open basis. But that means there's a lot of changes that occurs inside the agency and without. And there's a big change in that they're not going to be suppressing knowledge of the supernatural anymore like they have for the last century and a half. That was always in the game considered one of the big secret weapons of the Bureau was the fact that the supernatural didn't know that anybody was hunting it. Now, of course, the supernatural knows that something is looking out for it and knows exactly what it is, which means that it could have a possible deterrent effect. Well, I know there's this bureau out there, and they've been wiping out my kind for the last 150 years, and I haven't heard of anybody else like me, so I think maybe they're pretty good at their job. Or it means that they're saying, oh, man, with all those kitchen witches and werewolves and vampires showing up all over the place in raves and, and stuff, you know, they're going to be too busy. No one's going to have any time to be going after little old me. There, little girl, come over here. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> That's when people find out Vegas has always been putting in mirrors with silver backs in all their entrances for years for some reason. Because that usually, that tends to work best with vampires. You can spot them easier with a silver-backed mirror instead of a polymer. How can you spot them if you can't see them, John? You see a suit walking in. No, 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 no. The van... If the vampire is invisible, his clothes are invisible, too. What what movies have you been watching? In the mirror, they're invisible. But there's a guy walking. You only need some guy that's looking, going, uh, there's a guy walking, there's no reflection. Grab him. Yeah, what, what you need is one of those partially silvered mirrors. Yeah, but you find out it's been they've been doing it for years for some reason. Yeah. You know, the vampires go in, they always win a blackjack. Yo, you would give me the best card. Yeah. See, I, lo- I prefer the original idea, which was that vampires could not tolerate seeing their own reflection. Ah. And that's what caused them to flee, was because they, could, they would see themselves as they truly were, which was a dead corpse. And that would mess with their minds so much they couldn't stay around. Well, that, that, that happened too. Right. But it's changed to the fact where now they're just invisible in the mirror. They don't appear. 
And we, we've talked about that on the various vampire shows we've done. Okay, so we're going to pick this back up, and we're moving into the neutrals and the enemies of the Bureau, how things would change once the Bureau goes public. I think we talked about before, like people like Laura, Lulu, Kohler, Gulliver and Jones, and John Letherman are probably more of a stay as they are. They're not going to go out and, and go public. Yeah, supernatural creatures that were secretive by nature are not suddenly going to become flamboyant. They're going to keep to themselves and keep their machinations, if they have any, to themselves as well. They're just going to know, as we said, that there, there's people out there looking for anything that they might do. So if they do have machinations, they're going to have to be cleverer about it, uh, which will hopefully reduce the incidence as a result. Yeah, but then we come to the kitchen witches. Some may end up having their own cable network channel, or at least show. Some, I think, might just set up a shop and sell their nostrums and potions to people who don't know better. The, the Kitchen Witches and the Whoopee Witches are amateur witches who have a tendency to dabble in more than they have beyond their knowledge. And they'll also use, like, substandard spell components to get the spells done. Oh, we need to sacrifice an animal. Oh, I've got some frozen chicken breasts in the freezer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and this is their greatest danger because this differentiates them from the true practitioners of magic because they're willing to accept a substandard re result as long as it gets them almost to what they want. I see them as having their own cable network with their recipes and showing, you know, selling all kinds of, of uh, specialized uh, cookware, various packets of this herb and that herb. To me, it's just like another QEC channel. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, but, of what? course, the, the downside is, is that people are gonna, who only have a very tiny bit of magical talent are going to start trying their best to complete what these people have done, and they're going to see a lot of their spells go awry. Those who decide not to go on cable net, the home witching network, will end up setting up shops, stalls in the uh, local flea market or whatever, selling potions and gems. They'll they'll make you attractive and stuff like that. And it might work. It might not work. Snake oil for the new generation. Yeah, or maybe do something absolutely worse. Like uh, what makes you attractive? Makes you attractive to all those cool cats out there. Every cat in the neighborhood decides that you're you're its best mate. You're going to basically have this enormous new product line. It would be called kitsch if it was something having to do with style. So you're going to have people that are going to be buying low-grade charms to get them through the next luck charms, get them through the next test. And it might do it, okay? But, of course, it, may, it will probably also load them up with Ten times as much bad luck. So after they get through the test, they break their leg going going down the stairs out of the the exam room. The, or the luck charm decides, I don't know anything about tests, but that guy over there does, and your test looks exactly like his. And, and then they you both get thrown out because of plagiarism, right? So I mean, and you're going to see this happening. There's going to be all the it's going to be a real free for all as all this stuff suddenly hits the market. And they're all going to say, well, I'm sorry, it's just like herbs. I mean, they're grandfathered in, you know. I mean, this spell is 10,000 years old. You can't be you know, running any kind of FDA or whatever, you know, OSHA or 
whatever kind of safety rules you want to use, this stuff's been proven time-tested, except, of course, that they're not. I actually would bring a good course because it wouldn't be under FDA unless you eat it. Then it would then it would fall under FDA in that case. If it's a charm, though, FCC? If it is an herb, FCC. it would probably fall under the Department of Agriculture. Yeah. But we already know that they don't control things like herbs. Yeah, and if it's a charm, F- you know, what, the Federal Trade FTC? It depends on what the charm does. <laughs> I, I, I can see a case being made for a, a new, well, a board, of, a board of magic or whatever, you know, magic trade or whatever. I see about 100,000 cases being made, John. Yeah. <laughs> we already talked about that, uh, the, the, the uh, is it Bell Book and Crandall or whoever they are? No, the Cinesac, whatever, being just, just opening up offices throughout the entire nation because business is booming. Well, I'm not thinking more of something at the federal level, something that actually would regulate magic trade in the United States. Yeah, eventually, eventually. But for how long is it going to take? I mean, how long did it take for all those crazy nostrums and and techniques that came out that they made the movie The Road to Wellville about went on until finally people started stepping up and saying, hey, you're killing people. Enough is enough. Yeah, well, I think we're a bit more litigious in in our current Excuse me, our current state, and uh, I think after after several m- massive lawsuits about entire classic t- of uh, preschoolers being turned into frogs, uh, yeah, it, 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 there may be a push in Congress to get something started. Then they need people who are experts in it. Yeah, the and kindergartners who, get turned into frogs, and the middle schoolers lick them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can see it now. There's your FDA right there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And your DEA. <laughs> that too. Yeah. Anyways, uh, okay. So, anyways, the Kitchen Witches, man, that's going to be if you if you want wanted to, you could spend an entire campaign dealing with low level magic and low level threats, just dealing with the fallout from the Kitchen Witches and the Whoopie Witches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also for those who are not familiar, Kitchen Witches are the neutral. They're neutral good, or or actually called chaotic lawful. Whoopie witches are on the other end of the scale. They're a bit more. They'll do deals with the devil sometimes. Maybe you're not quite sure if it's the devil or not. You know, so they're they're, they're different ends of the same spectrum, though. They're like as Bruce said, amateur witches. Right. They're they're the people that the real witches look at with just horror and loathing. Yeah. Oh, kind of like uh, table toppers and larvers. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, there's some truth to that. Yeah. Historically, historically, we do not say that now. We are very much in favor of everybody. Okay, moving along, uh, uh, Zorch the Prophet. This is a person who's been with Bureau 13 since the beginning as far as the game is concerned. And he is basically a focus for destruction. He looks to be perfectly healthy, I mean, healthy, perfectly safe, per- slightly oddball, but, but he is a magnet for destructive supernatural forces. My personal opinion is, is that he will initially appear weekly on The Tonight Show with his new weekly crazy notion until the wake of destructive forces that follow him forces the network to ban him. So his, his innate impact, empathic power to convince people will actually go to the TV set? Or affect the studio audience. That too. Yeah. 
And those people are from everywhere, and they're going to turn around and go out and just form cells of, you know, of, of whatever it is that they're doing. So, yeah. And there, there are, of course, rumors of his sister Z. Never should the streams cross. That would just be a disaster if him and his sister got together. That's right. Okay, so let's go ahead and on to enemies. The Sixth Reich, to me, looks like a, a bit of the Thulgeschaft. The Thule Society, the people that were looking, supposedly looking for occult artifacts for Hitler to use. If magic is going to be brought to the forefront because of this Omega level event and the beer's going to be out there, they're going to step up their efforts, but also they will have to go underground because it'll be known, okay, we need to be even more secretive to find the stuff that now everybody knows about, and we're going to have to get better at it. Because there's going to be other people now looking for these artifacts where everyone now is real spear of genius. What do you mean the Holy Grail is real? What do you mean the nails of Christ are real? Oh, we have to find all this. And you're going to have treasure hunters and archaeologists all looking for this. So the Sixth Reich is going to be on their toes getting all this stuff before museums and private collectors do. And unfortunately, their supplies are now also going to be other people's trophies now. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Sixth Reich are going to be going after people just to get their stuff. Yeah. Unfortunately for those items you just mentioned, they're probably all safe and secure in the in the Vatican vaults already, so, yeah. <laughs> well, not all of them are, no. There are some that are... <laughs> the, oh, the Vatican vaults, oh, no, no. The Sixth Reich going up against the Vatican vaults. <laughs> no, no, I, don't, I don't see that ending well. <laughs> for either yeah, for any concern. But, yeah, yeah. the Sixth Reich, they, they will be... They have to become more effective... And yet more secret. Yeah, because at this point in time, the Mossad will kick it, kick, kick an overdrive to find them. They're person non grata amongst most of most of supernatural uh, supernatural hunters, I would say. So they, you know, you find one, hey, shoot them. No one's going, no one's going to prosecute you. Nobody likes them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on, man! Everybody hates Nazis. Yeah, they're Midwest, yeah. U.S., Idaho, and Argentina, which means South America is going to have a very big contingent of them. So yeah, they. They're all throughout the Western Hemisphere. So, yeah, they, as I said, they're, they're just going to have to step up their game because now everybody mm-hmm. wants the stuff that they're after, not just the Bureau trying to get it to get it out of their hands, but you got, oh, yes, we're from the National History Museum in London. Yes, we're looking for this particular artifact. Mm-hmm. What do you mean we got Germans going for it, too? You know, yeah. so. <laughs> At least not Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. <laughs> 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 they annexed. <laughs> they can't even say it. <laughs> or remember the final Did, line. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The, the, the Detroit Nazis were pretty bad, but they've been bad. They've been, they've gone bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. Right. Hey. 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 <laughs> okay. Now we are at the cabal of families. And that would be Eric Waving again. Yes, since this is his baby, he created this, and I helped out with certain things, and that is Eric's contribution into Bureau 13D20. Now, the, the idea that you've put forward where magic is now known, well, they're still going to work behind the scenes, but now, instead of just flat out trying to deny their involvement. Anytime that 
something comes up that might lead to them, they now have new and more interesting scapegoats. Like, the Sixth Reich is going to start being blamed for a lot more. And a lot of these other supernatural groups that before were just simply, no, no, they don't exist either. Well, now we can blame them. People know about them. We can blame them. You're not looking at us. You know, before I had the, the running concept of the Illuminati aren't real. It's just something we established to distract people from what we were doing. Well, now it's, well, now there's all these other people who are providing all of their own trouble. We'll just give them some more of that stuff so people aren't looking at us. No one's going to suspect anything because, well, we don't like these other groups anyway. Hmm. Okay. I thought I'd make it as short and sweet as possible. And that would apply to a lot of the other groups as well, because if, you, if it's a group that would be interested in, in maintaining its privacy and still working behind the shadows, well, now that there are these events, these groups and whatever out there that we can blame for these things, well, that means we can actually operate just a little bit more openly, but... Well, today we're wearing an SS uniform, and tomorrow we're wearing the uniform of some other disliked agency. That works for a wide variety, and it also speaks very much to their secretive and, at the same time, distracting slash uh, shell game mentality anyway. I like that shell game mentality. I do like that, yes. Look at my left hand while my right hand's doing all the work. Yes. Yes, or more specifically, look at his left hand. Well, mm. my right hand does its thing. Right. And the cyberpunks, which really shouldn't be existing because we're positing Bureau 13 in a near future type environment, and we don't, certainly don't have it now. But then the Bureau is, is going to go public, and all that, uh, well, a lot of that tech is going to go mainstream that the Bureau's been handing out to its agents. And we also mentioned that IDET will probably go public as well. And IDET has just a ton of stuff that they're perfectly willing to trade with the world, you know, for uh, the benefit of the new Commonwealth that they have. And yeah. the recruiting opportunities would be immense for them. Right. But that also means that there's a lot of people out there that suddenly say, hey, I can take, take this piece and stick it in my body. As a matter of fact, this piece is actually a living creature that could fuse with my body. So, wait a minute. So there's, there's two Six things. Six of one, like, half dozen of another. So the cyberpunks, right? Maybe they're an organization that runs because some people from the future have come back into the past. And they're giving them technology, or perhaps they themselves have come back into the past for some reason. So, so that's one possibility, because all things are possible. So, so maybe they, they really are from the future, or perhaps, like you, like you were saying, uh, Bruce, about the uh, maybe they have like you know, these like um, demonic organic parts. Uh, we we played uh, there uh, some time ago. We played Cyberpunk, and there was a. A uh, supplement that was released for it that was like a lot of it was like a Cthulhu cyberpunk um, cybernetics that you could get. Cthulhu tech. Cthulhu tech, yeah. But it was it was for Cyberpunk twenty twenty. Okay. Like I, my character took advantage of one of those, which creeped everybody out. I had this thing where my arm could turn into uh, five tentacles, and you know it was just creepy as all get out. And so I can see that being like a really awesome a really awesome thing to use in Bureau 13. So imagine your group 
it gets attacked by these baddies, you know, and they're fighting them, and they, and they start doing all this crazy stuff, and like, oh, there's some kind of creature. But lo and behold, once the fight is finished, and you start collecting samples or taking them back and arresting them, or or trying to like, we have to take these back, you know, we can't leave these bodies laying here, these creepy things, and they start doing investigations, you know, and, and the guy's like, yeah, they're they're not creatures; those are actually implants, and that could lead to a really cool adventure because then you you have to like. Okay, so wait, 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 wait. Somebody is injecting people with this kind of stuff that they're putting this kind of, they're grafting this kind of stuff onto their bodies. We need to find out A, who's doing this, and B, how the heck are they doing it? I, you know, that could lead to a whole series of adventures. I mean, like a whole big story arc, actually. Yeah. Now, don't forget, because of the way the Bureau, all stories are true, there probably were mechanical men back in the. 1890s, 1880s, you know, powered by steam or something like that. So it's quite possible that, that cyberpunk was beget by diesel punk, was beget by steampunk. And steampunk was beget by clockwork mechanisms. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this history of mechanical devices. Uh, does it cyberpunk, they get the benefit, they can actually probably do direct neural interfaces. Uh, but there, there was actually one of the adventures, uh, published adventures for, for Bureau 13 was the Augmented Man back in the 80s. And there was also Marv, the mechanical man, who was also augmented. There's been a history of cybernetic or, or what's, what's the right, what was the word? For mechanical enhancement. Mechanical enhancement or, uh, oh, I'm trying to now remember the term from uh, six, bionic, but we can't use bionic because that's trademarked. It is not. Is it? No, Bionics is not trademark. Bionicle is trademark. Yeah. Yeah. The Augmented Man was a black was a black project that got away. You know, you can have other things like that too, you know, various uh, research projects that, well, didn't go away. Or you have, you know, maybe down in Argentina something defrosts without comes a, a old Nazi super soldier who's all augmented. <laughs> but the ongoing thread that seems to underpin all of this is now that the opportunity is there and the technology is mature enough can be easily implanted in people's bodies you're going to have a lot of backshop places where people are going to be implanted without proper testing without proper oversight without proper skill and a lot of things are going to go bad chop shops black clinics are two names for those yeah it might have a, some kind of an implant that's perfectly good, that serves a, in a normal situation, but then it's done badly or someone decides to rip out the spark regulator on it, and whammo, it's now supercharged until it burns out the nervous system of the person that's attached to it. What they don't tell you is how they fund some these shops. They take the parts that you that you had removed and sell them to the Frankensteins. <laughs> That's spare parts. That's true, too. I forgot the Frankensteins. Yeah. <laughs> That's in the Bureau 13 Extreme, right? Yeah. Now, all cyberpunk is technological. You have some magical additions. That wooden leg that's made out of wood shouldn't bend, but it does because it's enchanted. You know, that, that wooden arm, it's wood. You can see the knots. It still moves like a real arm because it's been enchanted. I hate to say it, it's starting to like Shadowrun. At this point. <laughs> to me, it sounds more like Steve Jackson's Car Wars with the car magic. Oh, yeah. 
where magic was used to augment mechanical parts in all regards. Mm-hmm. Wasn't there even a spell where you cast a spell and a demon would show up and steal all the tires off of your opponent's car? Something like that could also be used in the reverse. You're, you know, you're going down the road, you, you have a problem with your tires, you, you get a flat tire. You uh, uncork a bottle, you uh, burn uh, a, a piece of paper with some script on it, also the demon shows up and puts a spare tire on your car and then takes off. And it's okay because the price has already been paid for that. Yeah. Now, behind the scenes, who knows how many goats had to be slaughtered for that. Well, you know because you paid whatever that price was for that service. I mean, you know, when you got that slip of paper or whatever, I'm sure there was a charge involved. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that that sort of thing will now become available where you have this kind of stuff happening. Oh, heck. If a demon wants to make a little side deal while he's there... Hey, it's, uh, who's to say between you and the demon, right? Yeah, how's your car? It runs like hell. Opens the hood up, and inside a dozen or so imps pushing the crankshaft. Uh. Quite literally. <laughs> hey, shut off the draft! <laughs> wait, wait. Hold on real quick. I got one for you. Right, that mind. might be trademarked. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I, th- I think. I think. You are an enemy of the Daleks. You must be destroyed. <laughs> yeah, I think we get like 15 seconds before it's. We have to start paying or something. All right. Yeah. That's why I only ran it for a few seconds. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Anyways, uh, <laughs> so cyberpunks. They're they're nothing but trouble. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> nothing but trouble. All right. They're also, they're also a collection of world class hackers too. But that's another story. <laughs> right. Okay. So moving along. Oh, everyone's favorite fiend from the from the depths, Goshnar. <laughs> okay. What about him? Chaotic stupid. Does that really say chaotic stupid? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just had to make sure. The Bureau may just make his outbreaks known just so people know what to look for. He had the little bump in the back of the neck where the spawn is busy implanting itself. Uh, Horde of slimy offspring. Toledo, Ohio. Ohio man end up with Goshnar season. <laughs> if you find one of the offspring, you, you know, bag your limit and you know take them to a place where they can be disposed of, like an incinerator or something, and just you know. Have the hunters go out with guns and all that. You know, you have bow season, musket season, <laughs> firearm season. You know. Then we have now we have Garshnar season. Well, no, I mean you can have them different ways. Up here in Michigan, we have three different hunting seasons. We've got bow and arrow season, regular firearm season. We even have a musket season for hunting deer. Uh huh. Yeah, we so have that. Garshnar could have the same thing. Just have firearm, bow and arrow, and musket hunting for the spawn of Goshnar. Take them to the like sheriff's office, and they'll you know incinerate them later to get rid of them. You know, there's the two things. There's the person who's controlled by the embryo at the base of his spine, and then there's the actual grown-up result of the grub, which is the actual spawn. I don't remember if you can remove the spawn or at least the embryo without killing the host. I think you can. Uh, it's just a matter of being able to detect it. But once they turn into spawn, then they're pretty much fair game. I think. Since magic is now out in the open, I'm pretty sure that the options for salvaging the living person improve greatly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, but it's still a matter of detection. Because once you do that, 
Goshnar has complete control over the victim, and he's not going to be going in to say, hey, doctor, I feel a little off today. Can you run a magical detection on me? That's not going to happen. If, if anything, you're going to want to have mandatory checking because that way the people who are mind-controlled can't get out of it. Or if they do try to get out of it, then you know it'll check for them, look for them. I wonder if you can get vaccinated for Goshnar. I think that's <laughs> much later down the line. I'm sure that there'd be an awful lot of people screaming about unnecessary vaccinations on that one. Oh, you got a case of Goshnar. You know there's a topical cream for that. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm thinking, I'm thinking the Goshnar vaccine causes autism. <laughs> it's like, hey, 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 hey. hey. Or I'm just, just saying. Hey, Susie, I heard you broke up. Yeah, she gave me Goshnar. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I picture if things get get too public, yeah, he's just going to take a nap. He'll probably want to, you know, wait until the next world calamity before he pops out again. Yeah, though I can see his his last final act as you're walking through the airport, these guys in saffron robes saying, have you heard the word of Goshnar? Oh, yeah. Hey, how devious is this guy? I mean, like, this thing, it, the the Goshnar. Which part of Chaotic Stupid did you miss there? <laughs> I'm just saying he controls people. Like, controls people to what? Dig holes in their backyard? I mean, like, what's his goal? He wants more Goshnars. He basically came into existence back when people were really stupid, and they weren't very verbal, and they didn't know how to worked together very well, and he was a big cheese back then. But as soon as people actually started saying, you know, (laughs) I don't think letting that group of people come over here and eat us is a good idea. Things have been getting worse and worse for Goshnar. I see, I I see. He was killed up by Neanderthals the first time they they rebelled. Then he was killed by Romans. Then again, he was killed again by, I don't know, Farmers in the Dust Belt. You well, know, then he the, must really be. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, and the Bureau, Bureau 13 did get involved in this until 1935. Is there one big giant Goshnar guy? This yes. Time? No one knows where he sleeps. Okay, so no one's found him. I don't really think that's true, John. I think he's, he's one of those creatures that cannot be permanently killed. He basically gets destroyed and reconstituates many years later. Another yeah. one of these things that doesn't have any stats. If you can't stat it, you can't kill it. Right. Yeah. Well, either that or, or maybe, you know, there's always a spawn somewhere and that one will turn into the new Goshnar at some point. There's always some idiot out there who says, I must form a bond with a being of immense power. Please come to me, I beg of you, you know? And bam. I'm Goshnar, the many mouth. I'm, I'm coming, coming for you. <laughs> and he, he shows him and says, my, what a handsome specimen of humanity you are. You really think so? Let me sign that blood pack with you. Okay. <laughs> now, now, bend over. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because you've got to put it at the base of your spine. Sure, John. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> and the problem is, he, he's the kind of guy that's always talking out of the side of his mouth, right? <laughs> Which one? He's got 12. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which brings us to Senator Weber. The bane of the Bureau. Well, he thinks himself the bane. He's mostly been a, a minor annoyance. But we're talking about Senator Weber from Baltimore, Maryland. He got wind of the Bureau way back in his career and has been struggling poorly 
to prove the existence of it forever, it seems. And finally, they come open, and he's like, yes, I told you all this time you were giving me, you know, sending me off to those... Rest home in Connecticut. The Ford, uh, you know, uh, mental health clinic, and I was right all along. The Bureau exists. Except for the fact that he's screaming about government waste and the Bureau is self-funded. I always think that's because he doesn't really understand anything about the Bureau. So he's assuming that the government is funding them. But in fact, they're not being funded by that. So that's kind of like a problem. I mean, he's going to feel like he's, everyone's going to point that out to him. He says, okay, fine. He's going to, he's going to cloak himself, you know, in the constitution and say, but there's still an unconstitutional agency and we've been acting without any oversight by your publicly elected officials. This makes them vigilantes and therefore un-American. <laughs> Yeah, until some point, until his uh, group of CIA agents or ex-CIA agents get get made known that he's been sitting around the country chasing after the bureau. Well, I, I don't see that as a problem. I mean, he's been trying to bring it out to the open. I mean, he can he can, like I said, again, wrap himself in the flag. He's finally going to get the ju- the justification he's always wanted, and because he finally has some real evidence, I think he's going to go uh, legal. He's going to lawyer up and try to do everything he can to obstruct the Bureau. Oh, yeah. Because now he has a target. Yeah. I could see it being a problem for a couple of years, but it's the whole, yeah, and. Depending upon how much information they're able to get from the Bureau about its own cases, everybody who's ever been hurt as a result of the Bureau's actions are theoretically a member of a class action suit of the victims of the Bureau. And he's going to be totally behind that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but what does he know? He's from Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I do see Full disclosure, Bl- Blix is from Baltimore. He's pulling the replace That would be like <laughs> making a Polak joke, Blix. Come on. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a born and bred Baltimore on there, hon. Baltimore. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I still see it as... Yeah. Yes, there would, be, there would be serious legal problems for a few years, but, you know, I mean, there's a lot of argument today about what the legal status of certain government agencies are anyway in our world. And so this whole, oh, they're operating in total secrecy and blah, 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 and at least have about a third of the population going, yeah, and they were working for the common good. They were doing this without any fanfare or any reward, really. And all the people they helped. Right. Who numbered much larger than those they may have hurt by accident. We exist in a culture that that believes themselves to be victims in a lot of cases where they're clearly not. If the Bureau did come public and was willing to work with the government to police the supernatural, if I was the head of the Bureau, whoever that may be, I would request, demand even, of the President of the United States a blanket pardon. The, yeah, the President has that power. He can give a blanket pardon. He would have precedents, not president, but precedents, to cite that in that they could probably give him well-documented cases where they had saved the entire planet on multiple occasions. And he might say, well, whatever harm they did, it's offset completely by all the good that they've done. So I am granting them a, uh, you know, across the board presidential pardon from this day retroactive. Yep. 
They save the world on a weekly basis. They may come out with the equivalent of a apology, pardon me, an apology like had been issued uh, several times in the past, a public release specifically citing those people that were unduly harmed. But a lot of times it literally is just the piece of paper saying, we're sorry. Yeah. Or maybe a small financial recompense. Um, but usually that's to, like, you know, your second, third, or fourth generation of the actual victim. Yeah. Of course, you know what Art Bell's going to say when they say it, when the president says that. They've cast a spell on the president, or they have brainwashed him, <laughs> or they've hit him with alien rays and made him think this way. Oh, or yeah. Else, oh, either that, or, the, or they'll say, he yeah. has a spawn of Goshnar in him. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard yeah. that in a long time, Art Bell. Wow. Or he's making yeah. a comeback. He's oh, coming really? back. Oh, really? Okay. All right. Hey, yeah. we're so glad. Yeah. I, of I course. Read, <laughs> well, no, I read his book, The Quickening. It was a good read, Blix. Read it about 15 years ago. It was not, not a bad read at all. Anyways. I can see one more thing happening with Senator Weber. Now that magic's out there for real, I can see him behind the scenes with his all his various contacts he has looking for the fountain of youth or at least something to rejuvenate him because he wants to stay senator for for the, for the state of Maryland for a very long, long time. Well, no, if he's been put... Uh, well, no, let's see. With no real evidence of Bureau, his story holds a little more than a one-way ticket to a rest home in Connecticut. Technically, if he's in a rest home, he's no longer senator. He's... Well, he hasn't been a senator for a long time. And even if he gets rejuvenated, someone will come out with a term limits law and he'll be swearing up a storm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, if he wants to get rejuvenated, he's going to have to get in line. Yeah. Long, oh, yeah. <laughs> Long one. <laughs> Not, well, Maine or that little town down the road. Uh, what's his name? Innsmouth. And uh, do, do some shooting. <laughs> Good hunting season. You're going to have uh, fried deep ones. Or deep fried ones. Oh, no. deep fried ones. <laughs> it's something you can eat, John. And notice I said something. <laughs> you can eat. Yeah. I, I still picture, you know, the, the U.S. military now actually being able to be publicly going, you know, deep old ones uh, naval maneuvers uh, against. All those weird sounds you, we, on those tapes that people could never figure out what they were. Well, they were deep ones having fun. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> what, the broop or whatever it is? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're not allowed to go on the beach between these days and these days because it's going to be lined with claymores. Yeah. <laughs> As they come on shore and whoops. The next person in line, Sun Yen Yen. I don't know. He's living large already. I don't see him doing anything really different. Are you crazy? Sun Yen Yen has sworn bloody vengeance on the bureau. That was an agency he couldn't find. Now they've got a public face. He has programmed terrorists ready to strike, and now we've basically said, here we are, come get us. And he's going to go, thank you. Yeah. And the second he does it overtly, he puts a gigantic bullseye on his head by numerous different agencies who have nothing to do with the Bureau just because he's proven he's willing to act against a government agency. Well, no one says that he's going to act personally. That's the whole point of having program followers. They all act without his knowledge. Oh, how terrible. 
And the Bureau would be able to divine that it was his programming. And the Bureau's known about him anyway. Okay, so he has a mild um, heart attack of natural causes. Before they blow themselves up, they go, in the name of Sun Yen Yan, boom. (laughs) Yeah, but look, this guy, hold on a minute. This guy's not going to be easy. He specializes in blackmail, extortion, drug running, uh, all under an umbrella of several shadowy corporations. So this guy is good. I mean, he's good at, at being invisible. And he's also probably going to be extraterritorial. And he's based out of China, right? Well, he's originally from China, but he like came to America. When he decides to go on his rampage of justice, I'm sure he's going to leave the, the country. Because if he wants to, if he wants to operate out of China, I mean, that, that pre- presents a major barrier. You know, China being humongous and a lot of it being rural, he could literally disappear into the landscape. In a modern age where things are already getting publicly hairy, I mean, even the public has to admit that there's weird stuff going on out there and someone is um, stirring the pot, causing additional problems, China may just make him go away. May not kill him, but may make him go away for a while. I may. I'm sure there's plenty of Indonesian islands that uh, would love to, to be his point of non-extradition. Or oh, yeah. for, that, for that matter, he slips into the Middle East. But, but also, don't forget, the Bureau probably has a big file on him that they haven't turned over to anyone because, well, he knows about the Bureau. They know, now the Bureau's public. Here's his file on this guy named Sun Yen Yen. You may yeah. want to do something about him. It sounds like a big mess. I, I picture dealing with him could be your own private story arc. I was just going to say that. I was going to say this would be a good story arc. Take out this dude. Well, he's trying to take you out. Maybe like six adventures or something like that. Or, where, or maybe even yeah. you know, at first you don't even realize that he's involved until you realize who keeps sending these crazy people out to stop us. Equipped roughly the same way, even though they claim to be different organizations. Yeah, let's find out who's doing all this. Are you telling me that he's filing the serial numbers off his followers? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Rent-a-goon. But you know what will take him down? It was with took Capone down. Taxes. That's why I said he's probably going to be extraterritorial. Yeah, because if he's if he's still on the, on the ground after the Bureau hands over its files to the FBI, to the NSA, to the CIA, and the IRS, he better be out, out, out of the country before nightfall. Well, yeah, he's already got um, a hefty Swiss bank account, and the United States can't touch that, so he'll still have money. And if we turn that information over to other nations as well, look at all the stuff that he's been doing to you guys as well. And someone less scrupulous than the U.S. Oops. But if the Bureau actually had that kind of a file, don't you think they would have already given it over to the IRS and such? Yeah, but the, he, would, uh, he would then rat them out, though. I think that you need to consider the fact that Sun Yen Yen is a very smart guy. And so, therefore, he's going to be as hard to get rid of as Matthias Bolt. And speaking of Matthias Bolt... Matthias Bull has always been one of the biggest enemies of the Bureau. And many, many people have run entire campaigns about the, the Bureau and Matthias Bolt sparring through his various agencies and goon squads. But Matthias has always been untouchable because he presents himself as being a great philanthropist, a humanitarian, and gives all kinds of money to churches and, and schools, which he always, of course, places right next to the facilities where he's doing his deepest, darkest magic, because that way the Bureau can't attack without taking out the orphanage. 
Yeah. I see him as coming out and saying, I'm going to be the champion of the downtrodden supernatural. You have been living your life in fear of being, you know, detected or being thought differently. I will provide you refuge. I will create all these halfway houses and training centers and and whatever to help the supernatural. It always guises because I'm that kind of a great guy. Once he gets his hands on those poor, unsuspecting supernatural, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> Your heads. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he collects Nazis in his spare time, you know, so. You're going to find a lot of people being used unwittingly to their detriment. They cause too much of a trouble. Well, they may disappear. They may suddenly get transferred to his overseas branch. He would not change at all. He'd be behind the scenes. He'd be publicly wonderful. He wouldn't change one bit. He himself wouldn't change, but I think that he would embrace the supernatural as his guardian, as its savior, as their savior. Yeah, I mean, he's just going to be doing everything he can to create a public fiction of being their white knight. But in fact, is of course, he's really Darth Vader. There are those in the know who would probably, you know, if you came to him first, they'd advise you not to go to the Bolt Foundation's camp for the wayward spirits. And there won't be anything the Bureau can do about it because he can sling mud at them just as easily as they can sling mud at, at him. Because all the things that, he's, that they've done that have been big mistakes, because not every mission ends well, he's done his very best to document that. It's one of those mutually assured destruction things that's, what's kept, them, that's kept them on either side and going all this time. But now, I don't know. I mean, once the Bureau goes public, that might just be a big sea change. Of course, he has the best lawyers that you can find in hell. So, yeah. Well, I, I picture that a lot of the people who are really, really good at being behind the scenes, if he's going to be a little bit public about some of the stuff that he does, all about being the good guy, of course, it would be a very easy thing for them to suddenly have Bolt Foundation business cards on any thug of theirs that they don't want running back to them. I don't, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that. If you have some thugs that are going to do a job and you don't want it getting back to you, well, a couple of the guys have like the matchbook uh, from the Bolt Foundation or the business card from there. Well, that's entrapment, sir. (laughs) (laughs) That'll only work a couple of times before it shows up everywhere and everyone stops believing in it. Well, (laughs) the whole thing is, the best way to say just how diabolical and how powerful and how good Matthias Bolt is at being Matthias Bolt is the sentence, which is the third paragraph on page 183. On one occasion, J.P. Withers put a 44 Magnum to Bolt's head and then let him live. If he can get away from J.P. Withers, you know he's going to do everything in his power to make sure that he keeps his power post-Omega event. Hmm. Withers knows he serves a purpose. Yeah. The the last part of that sentence was stating uh, he was not responsible for the massacre of 1977. He knows Matthias Bolt didn't do it. Still with everything that the man has done, Mm -hmm. this guy's going to keep on keeping on. He's not going to give up his cushy 
public life of being wonderful. Yeah. And I do like Bruce's idea of him becoming a savior for the downtrodden, you know, oh, you're an ogre and you're out of work. Oh, come here and work for me. You'll be doing good works for, you know, homeless people and widows and orphans and all that. And Yeah, trolls, come out from underneath that bridge. You almost yeah. got him in a spec take. Almost. <laughs> yeah. Though I can see some plucky reporter trying to do an expose because he's too good. You know, he's he must have clay feet. But they've been trying to do that for his entire career. Yeah, sadly. I mean, he's basically the Billy Graham of the evil supernatural. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But I, before they would come back with tales of his witchcraft and stuff like that, no one believed him. They might now. Well, I find it funny, the final sentence, Bolt has a strange admiration for Bureau 13 and has notified them of supernatural issues. Bolt knows that Bureau 13 also serves a purpose, or otherwise he would have had the Bureau wiped out a long time ago. Remember, he's lawful evil. That just means he has a code of honor. Uh -uh. Everything has a purpose. It's a place, right. Everything has its place. The circle of life. Don't get all schmaltzy on us. <laughs> you can't have light without a shadow. Yeah. Yep. You never ask him who's the light and who's the shadow. I can't have the donut without the hole. Yeah. But you, but you know what? We we <laughs> were talking about this before. Remember the remember the law firm that we were talking about? There was a law firm that would probably be representing the dead. They have the ghost as one of their partners. Senate's acts. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I see Matthias Bolt as using his celebrity and working with them. I mean, if he's a big proponent of of the supernatural, maybe even he's some kind of go between in some ways with some of that stuff. But but like in a shady kind of way, because he's a bad guy. We want him to be a bad guy. We can't color him gray. He's he's the black. I, I much oh. prefer to think of him as the great plot red herring. Yeah. You know he's the bad guy, but you can't prove that he did X actually did not do X. He's well, done stuff you don't like, but nothing worth your full attention. His foundations do good work sometimes. I mean, you can't, you can't help it. Yeah, most well, of the time they do good work. Well, hold on, wait, wait, wait. But this is where I was, go- I was going somewhere with this. So he's, in a lot of ways, and I'm not saying that Johnny Cochran's a bad guy. He's just a very vocal guy, and a lot of times he takes on controversial cases. But he would sort of like be kind of like the Johnny Cochran for, for the, the supernatural, you know. Uh, a vampire does something really horrible and he's the first one to jump on it and say, well, you're just persecuting him, you know. And, and every man and, and vampire has their right to, to the legal <laughs> process. If the marks don't fit, you must quit. Don't quit, right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I could see him doing that because it would be a great publicity stunt for him, for one. And for two, he'd get a lot of money from his clients. And, and then he's endearing himself to that element in the supernatural world. Yeah. I mean, I can see it. You know, actually, he's creating another foundation just for legal defense funds. Yeah, and he's he's helping them, but he's he's not really being a bad guy because he's. I'm just trying to get them their legal rights. The more you can read about Matthias Bolton, the more you can read into him. He tends to fall into the cracks of the kinds of shades of gray, like the great power players of the evil who want to rule a world. And want there to be a world to to be ruled. Right. So, in the greater scheme of things, he's not the guy that you're going to be throwing your full efforts against. 
In fact, he's probably going to be the guy who may even help you on occasion, because just like I'm fond of saying for the, the Kabbalists, you can't do anything to my world, too much of my stuff's on it. Yeah. This guy is definitely there for the long term. Is this what we, as we like to refer to as necessary evil? Yes. yes. Yeah. At times he may be. Like I say, by being lawful evil, he will many times obey the law. And he will, he may actually help you, help a bureau team out. He and would thrive on technicality because he would find loopholes to get Scott free and get away with stuff. But he also doesn't like chaotic, supernatural bad guys. Agreed. Oh, yeah. If there's some <laughs> ravening, slabbering monster. Gushnar. Oh, no. I'm sure Bolt would probably, let's see, he has food for the homeless, medical clinics, youth camps to the poor, and flowers for the sick. Oh, you know, he'd come up with his own supernatural force to say, I'm defending the widows and children that are in my homes. I'm, I'm defending to make sure there aren't more of them. Yeah. And that's just PR for him because, you know, there's no such thing as bad press. But, I mean, he'll sit there and he'll do that. I wouldn't say it'd be as big as the Bureau, but he would have his own, well, I guess the best way to describe it would be corporate security force. I, I actually don't see that. I see him having... A, a small security contingent and a really big intelligence arm and oops, oh god yes and oops a a strange data packet arrives in someone's computer with the information they need to defeat ravening horde or um mm-hmm. a crazy mad scientist it wouldn't be bought off yeah and it would be entirely legal well okay outside of the fact that there's no name on it there's no proof that it was obtained illegally. It's just a file. Yeah. And since he, he has access to magic, you, there's no IP to trace because it's more or less, it, it literally appeared in the computer. You got mail. <laughs> yep. I'm not plugged in. It's not turned on. <laughs> yeah. The computer's off. Dang, you have mail. What? <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely going to be a, a thorn in the side of uh, of the bureau, but he also will be one of their best allies in, in fighting things like Goshnar. I can actually see him having his people shoot Goshnar's embryos and spawn as much as anyone else would. Though he probably would not; they may not have be so um, gentle with people who are infected with Goshnar. Well, here's actually, the- I see him more as the whole the big neon sign pointing this way to Goshnar. From an intelligence uh, agency standpoint. Well, if, if Matthias Bolt has something to lose due to Goshnar, and the Bureau's been fighting him all this time, or, let, or let's say the Omega-level threat that causes the Bureau to be outed, well, that Omega-level threat is also going to threaten Bolt's holdings. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Bolt yeah. and the Bureau would act together during this Omega-level threat. Yep. Although yeah. he's securing his own oh, um, yeah, no, no, you post know, event. Oh, yeah. no, you know Matthias Bull is going to be, you know, the, the whole CYA principle. He's still going to be helping the Bureau because each of them have stuff that the other would need in order to get through this big incident. So during an Omega-level threat and afterwards, Bolt would still be someone who just would not sit and business as usual. No, no, no. You know, it's like Eddie Murphy and Beverly Hill. Hey, bitten man, always moving, bitten and moving, moving. You know, he just would not stop. Because he'd be seeing also new opportunities to 
continue how he is, keep on keeping on, as it were. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. also, the brave new tomorrow is going to need someone to guide it. Oh, yes. So that was the cabal. Uh, I see him thinking very much the same way. Yeah, but he, I'm sorry. The, Bolt, the cabal would look at Bolt and just go, oh, isn't that cute? Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking that exactly. Yeah. But he's like, you know, but they're going, well, he has the right idea anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I would see Jonathan Michael Price's second walk up to Bolt and actually have the brass ones to pat him on the head. Aren't you cute? No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, no, they mess up the hair. Yeah. No, no. It, they'd walk, they'd, they'd see Oh, no, he'd hire somebody to do it. That's right. No, no. <laughs> they'd pass each other on the street and go, Ah, yes. Tea Thursday? Yes. Now yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Somehow or another, uh, he must go to Canada for his Cuban cigars, though. <laughs> or maybe he gets it straight from Fidel. First of all, you're misunderstanding his predominance of, in his personal life, using demons. He summons up demons to fix his toaster. He summons the demons and says, Go get me a dozen Havana cigars. Yes, sir, boss. See ya. And off he goes, all right? And he comes back and, he's, and puts the smoking cigars in the smoker. <laughs> well, I picture him as violating some of the basic rules of magic. You don't use magic to make basic housework easier. Yes, yes, you do, darn it. <laughs> uh, because he can. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's the phrase. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so moving on from Matthias... When Willow Coven, nothing with them. Nothing would change with them. No. Yeah. Neither the Geneva group. Right. Well, we have the Geneva group. Now, the Geneva group is very much interested in controlling gems, the the diamond market, things like that. And when they find out that there are certain beings and creatures that um, like to amass large amounts of gems and precious metals... I.e. dragons, leprechauns, and other type beings. They're going to get very, very interested in locating these and making sure that those caches disappear. Now, they are covert, granted, but I do see them as suddenly causing problems to these now suddenly outed supernatural. They would be like the people that Matthias Bolt might need to step in and protect, and the Bureau as well. The... Geneva Group is the archenemy of the Carcer's Wade family. See, if they're going to go after these supernatural creatures, oh, wait a minute, there's that, wait a minute, dragons are real and they're amassing wealth? Yeah, good luck, these guys who I see them being nothing more than corporate security teams going up against a, a, a 750-year-old, 1,000-year-old well, yes, dragon. Corporate security teams in the hands of a properly funded... Uh, madman um, can have the kind of resources to create dragon flambe bits yeah. at great distance. They don't understand magic. I see mm. here they, they want tech, they use tech, they don't use magic. No, no, they're not using the magic. They're using the copperhead missile at two and a half miles. Dragon and never that's not covert. Trav, they would probably be one of the first people to jump on the cyberpunk boat. Oh, yes. Some of those dragons have the ability to turn themselves into humans. So some of these dragons, you may already know who they are because they're always listed in the Forbes 100 richest people in the world. It's saying here that they keep attacking the Carstairs Wade family. Yeah. You know, they keep losing this because they don't understand magic is involved. All right, so imagine now, 
that magic comes out and these guys have the ability to at least understand it or know that it's in play and then they can start you know doing google hits and saying well how do you know how do you defeat a protection spell they align themselves with whippy witches oh yes yeah. <laughs> right the 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 carstairs wade family yeah. are toast at this point because now they're I, I now they're going to get through that magic i would see that they would have to find a magical ally because they're not going to do it themselves they're not going to say magic takes years to to perfect you know wizards and acolytes and we don't have that type of time especially now you know with Earth going to heck in a handbasket, they're going to look for people. Trav, I'm just saying, they they hire someone to get through their protection spells, and they roll in, they take these guys out finally. Once the Bureau goes public, then a lot of the information they have about Banes versus the supernatural is going to go public too. And Banes can be used by everyday folk. As a matter of fact, that's why they were created, was to protect everyday people against the supernatural. So I see them as, as using these on a fairly constant basis and becoming very well familiar with how they should be used. Oh, wow. This gives me the visions of a, of a new security group, since they don't use it anymore, a new Blackwater group. Only Blackwater consisting of, uh, of warlocks and witches. They provide security the magical way. The Black Cauldron Group. There we go. But that's not this group. This group has, has specifically chosen, I would think, would continue with their policy of not using the supernatural any more than they had to. That if they had a non-supernatural solution, that they would go with it because that is how their techniques have been developed. That's how their training is ordered. One of the reasons that the Germans lost World War II was they kept trying to develop super weapons that didn't pan out in the end. Now you as a GM with to decide, okay, do we go the old-fashioned way and say cold iron is a bane of magic? Uh, yeah, then that means most of your, bureau, your magical bureau agents are, are screwed. I don't think there should be any, any uber anti-magic material. I think it should be a matter of using the skills, figuring out what the banes are, the creatures that are de- part of the defense of your target now, and then applying them appropriately. The thing is, if you're dealing with wards and spells, the only way really to counter those is with counter wards and spells. They will have to contract. You know, get, get a contractor working with them at that point to do this. If that's true. But it may not be. It may be that they're dealing with supernatural creatures that have magical powers. And those supernatural creatures can be affected by banes. That's true. Yeah. Uh, historical dragon versus uh, legendary dragons versus D&D dragons. Some dragons, you might as well just simply go grab a nuke because you're not going to get through the army any other way. Uh, versus some, yeah, okay, all you got to do is find that one loose scale and you got them. Then again, as you said, that's more research. What kind of dragon are you dealing with? Is this the kind of dragon you can shoot at all day and it ain't going to bother him? Well, you can, maybe you need to poison him instead. Yeah, maybe itching powder underneath those scales will drive him mad. Yeah, if it's a Chinese dragon, the Chinese uh, golden dragons, they may have other banes instead. You, you never know. You're going to have to research and find out. Though I don't think Chinese dragons are mass gold, though. You need the good old European kind unless they get mass gold. <laughs> Although, if we're talking about creatures that establish hordes, yeah. then wouldn't these organizations that are interested in, in controlling the wealth view them as a potential market? Partners. How? Oh. Yeah. How? If item X is that important to you, 
what are you willing to do for us for it? Do you have some favor you're willing to give us? Do you have some special ability? Or do you have some other thing to trade for it? Now, granted, the smaller, weaker supernatural that like to collect wealth, yeah, they're still hosed by this deal. But powerful supernatural would have things to trade, or at least would be able to try and make an offer for this wealth, yeah. rather than trying to take it from this, albeit very heavily armed organization. Don't misunderstand me. The, the primary reason that I believe that Geneva Group will be interested in these groups is because they're afraid that these groups will be killed by other people and their hordes then released into the market causing damage to the market, to their, their profit margins and the values of the gold and gems that, they, that the Geneva Group control. So they're trying to get there first. Now, it may be that they may enter into some kind of an agreement with old, powerful beings like dragons and provide them with protection, even places to store their gold in deep vaults that the Geneva Group control. That's fine. But, you know, a lot of these other beings, that they just got to collect it. It's just part of their nature, like leprechauns and such. You know, they may not be powerful enough to stand up against the horde of people who suddenly say, hey, leprechauns are real. Don't they have a pot of gold? Hey, let's go get that. You know, get the truck, get a couple of uh, shotguns full of rock salt. Let's go, that guy down the street, he's kind of short, he's got a beard, he likes to wear green. Come on! <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, well, Racial profiling no, no, of leprechauns. I, I just felt, though, that it should be discussed. Now, your, your, your thought of, well, dragons are now basically renting their horde, you know, renting horde space at the De Beers storage facility, mm -hmm. for lack of a better way of putting it. That's something that I felt we needed to talk about because the fact that they're still controlling the wealth even though it's not ahem, theirs, even though it's just down the hall and to the left, you know, that yeah. we need to discuss. Like I said also, some of those dragons may have, may have long ago converted their gold into more fluid forms of cash and they work on the stock market. You never know. I mean, you know, so these dragons may not have big hordes, big piles of gold. Instead, they have portfolios of stocks they control. Well, it depends on the nature of the dragon. I mean, why are they collecting the hoard? Is it just because they've killed so many creatures over time and they've lived so long that they've amassed this huge amount of money? And so maybe, yeah, they would be putting it in the markets. But if, for example, in order for them to sleep properly, they ha must have the, the feel of precious gems against their body. Well, then, you know, they're going to have a big chunk of loose coins laying around, literally, for them to snuggle into. So it just depends on how you define your supernatural. So you want me to join you and do things for you. Well, you can watch over my wealth all I require once every full moon, a virgin. Male or female, doesn't make a difference. Once a month, a virgin. Thank you. Why always the virgins? I don't know, but that's what you usually do. <laughs> what, what, it yeah. usually does it. You know what? So I want to go back just real quick. So, so the, <laughs> you discover that there's a dragon living down the road from you, and you're 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 running a uh, you're running out like a a criminal organization. Would you say uh, I'm gonna get out the pipe wrenches and blow torches and get medieval? <laughs> People who said they're dragons, 
and they have gold. Aha! And yeah, the, the the death rate from going after dragons shoots up imma- immensely from zero to a large number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, they're gonna have to get through the wall of Pern fans that are blocking the way and protecting those dragons, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do not need to be trained, damn it. <laughs> I do a bond with you. Uh, I do really do. Lady, I've never sent you before in my life. <laughs> don't don't speak. Talk to me through telepathy. And he taps him in the head. I don't do telepathy. <laughs> if you want me to put an idea in your mind, you're not going to like how I do it. <laughs> I, can it. I can see it now. The, the dragons get together and the ones look at the other ones. Like, how does Brad Pitt do this? I can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the supernatural is real. How many, how many of these supernaturals decide that, you know, I don't want to go out and beat heads all the time and get shot at. But I, you know, I, when I always wanted to do, I want to act. And they go to Hollywood. Oh, Hollywood would be packed. Well, actually, any of the entertainment industries in every nation yeah. would absolutely packed. Now there isn't the whole, I have to be quiet about it, unless they still want to be quiet about it, of course. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to be the same crazy people, just a different look. I'm sorry, Saul. We can't use you. I know you're a ghost and everything, but you're one of those ghosts that don't show up on film. But we would also see a sudden return of practical effects. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because now we got guys who literally can walk through a wall of fire or who can get shot with machine gun fire, ripped to shreds, and then just regenerate once they stop rolling the cameras. I'm sorry. That leads into another popular phrase of mine. I don't like pain. It hurts too much. Yeah. But stuntmen are used to that sort of thing. And I'm saying is that there's going to be a whole subgroup of stuntmen who uh, capitalize on their various immunities or advantages to do movies for a lot cheaper than they're currently doing them because now they're doing everything digitally. Now, maybe in the future, that stuff's going to be so cheap to do digitally that they're practically going to go the, the route where everything's going to be a digital effect. But it may also be that they're going to say, hey, there's some things we can do now that we never could do before because we actually have people that can stand up to it. Though I can just imagine the rom-coms that come out of that, too. You know, I was a teenage werewolf, you know, with a real teenage werewolf. Think about all the makeup guys that are going to be out of work. (laughs) You know, it's like, I used to make makeup monsters all the time, but now they got real ones, and I don't have it. What am I going to do? I'm on the unemployment line. Actually, I don't think that's going to be true, Peter, because the one thing that I've learned in checking out real monsters, creatures that are exotic, most of the time, they're not that interesting to look at. So there's always going to be a need for embellishment. Yeah. That's what the makeup guys and the special effects guys do. That's like whenever they film martial artists, uh, like real martial artists doing fight scenes and stuff, they've got to slow them down and they got to tell them, no, no, you can't do that. But that's how it's really done. It's like, yeah, but the camera can't pick that up. It's not interesting. Real martial arts is really boring to watch unless, unless you really know about martial arts. Yeah, because it's over in two seconds. Right, yeah, yeah. it's usually re- over really, really fast. Okay, well, the last thing I had was not actually in the enemies, but in one other thing, which is banned books. Oh, yeah. These are 
tomes and writings and things like that with great supernatural power in them through their use or sometimes by their very existence. And just like the One Ring, they want to be found. Mm -hmm. Now they don't have to be quiet. Yep. Well, not only that, but now, you know, things that people have been locking away in their claws and stuff, they may say, hey, look what I got. And all of a sudden, all of these very dangerous writings and artifacts are going to suddenly go public. And they're going to be coming out of bookstores and out of the basements and off of the rafters and underneath the uh, dining room table because that leg was not quite the right length. And suddenly, they're going to be causing havoc throughout the world. Yep. And it's just going to feed the whole whoopee witch and uh, kitchen witch kind of thing because this is, of course, the, the, the knowledge that man was not meant to know and suddenly it's out there. It's being digitized. It's being torrented right and left. Yeah. It's the magic cost. It's supposed to take decades of training, but you can do it with the book for dummies. Yep. Right. Yeah. With This one spell has three words in the incantation. Don't yeah. screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, 150 years worth of After Effects. Yeah. yeah. Luckily, most of these are like one-ofs. There's just one, you know, flesh-bound tome of, ev of evil. A lot of these are forbidden knowledge. A lot of these are magic spells. But a lot of these spell books, these banned books, they literally cause effects wherever they are. And once they're unearthed, once they're broken out of their bindings and their various protections, you know, and there's always going to be some guy out there saying, no, no, this magic stuff, it's all hooey. It can't be as bad as you say. That thing's worth a fortune on eBay. Yeah. And so these books are being sold on eBay right now. You know, just that, you know, no one knows that they're really, that they actually are magical tomes. There's just old books. I'm, a, I'm an old book fiend myself. I like old books. So if it looked interesting, I'd probably buy it, not knowing it's actually a real spell book. Yeah. Well, something to be said for the aesthetic, but congratulations, chaos reigns. Yeah, it's sort of like soon we'll try to find a copy of Kibblemeyer's Guide to Kitchen Magic, an original edition, not the 1950-15 edition, and try to reproduce it. Here's the thing about magic books. You can try scanning it in. It may not scan. Or it may scan badly. Yeah, that's not a problem. These things are going to come out and they're going to start causing havoc. Not necessarily because they themselves are dangerous, but because the way they are used or the attempts to duplicate them improperly will cause corrupted versions of them to be spread far and wide. The only reliable way of copying a magic book is by a trained magical scribe by hand. A carcist, right? With the appropriate materials, which means each book will be worth about, oh, say, two to $3,000 a piece. Because that's what, that's what it costs. <laughs> if not more. At least. If yeah. not more, yeah. <laughs> Specialized materials, you know, all that virgin blood we keep talking about. <laughs> what do you have against gamers and computer people? I don't know. It's just... <laughs> oh, wait. Okay, in that case, you should look at Happy Poke Book of Earth. Wait, 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 wait. wait, wait. Did you... Was that... <laughs> Were you saying happy... gamers, virgin blood thing? Yeah, virgin blood. What do you have against gamers and computer people? Really, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> this this book was made was printed in gamer blood. Ah, with the virgins again. <laughs> <laughs> I can see someone down in hell. It's like, 
This other offering of 150 virgins, really? More? No, we're kind of full, really. <laughs> <laughs> Not to pick on gamers, we are all gamers. We are. We love gamers. Oh, yes. We, we would marry them if we could find any. <laughs> oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, oh, no, Bruce, your wife's a gamer, isn't she? No, she's not. She's not. Oh. No, no, she likes costuming. She likes, you know, all. Uh, she likes a lot of stuff. She's more into the literature, you know, and she's a big reader. She's a big science fiction fancy fan. But other than initially the gaming, you know, the, the initial stuff she did with the uh, uh, with the Infinite Crossroads magazine and stuff like that, um, she's you know not really that interested in gaming. Got it. Okay. Now, yeah. of all the friends that I know, there's only one full where you know both sides are into pretty much the same stuff. You know, the gaming and the normal world stuff, if you have that phrase. How does this apply to your Bureau Thirteen campaign? I mean, Chief Seedle. He's still walking the streets of Seattle because they named it after him, and he's doomed to walk the earth until, well, at least walk the city limits until no one knows the name Seattle. I can see him trying to make an appearance, trying to let people know he's there so that maybe you convince him to change the name of the city so he can shuffle off to the happy hunting ground or wherever you know wherever he wants to go to. Then there's the, the troll under the Fremont Bridge who's been cemented in place. You can see pictures of him. There are pictures of this troll under the Fremont Bridge. And he comes, he unstones about 2, 2 a.m. in the morning, and he has a brisk trade in changing information. Well, he would, if, if Supernatural became real, he'd want to get out of that situation and get uncemented so he can actually live a normal troll life. Set me free. He was put there by a bureau team. Right. Well, that's what we're talking about. All those people who've been threatened by the bureau or been locked away by the Bureau or somehow neutralized by the Bureau, they're all going to say, hey, where's my place in the sun? Except for the vampires, of course. And some trolls. Yeah, then there's the Yeo Curiosity Shop. It's a uh, low-level containment facility here in Seattle. It has Sylvester the Mummy. Sylvester was a cowboy who got shot somewhere in Arizona and mummified. He's, but he's still spry, gets out every so often and visits and goes to horse races when he can. Um, he would, you know, I, I can see him trying to make make the rounds as well, as well as any of the other things in, in the curiosity shop that are sealed there for their own and the public's protection. The reason they're not in Bangor, Maine, most of them are those things that you, if you take in the Bangor, you open the box up, it's empty because it's right back in Seattle again. You know, so it's the store in Seattle in a safe place. There are some things you can't send to Bangor. They won't go. No matter how hard you try, they won't go. And besides, Sylvester's harmless. He just walks around, bets on horses, and goes to the uh, strip clubs. And there's no harm in that. No, no. No. I mean, those girls need dollar bills. Oh, yeah. Like I say, he goes to horse races, and he always wins. Yeah, and and you got the $2 window there. Yeah. (laughs) So it's easy for uh, anyone who's been with us this long to see that when the Bureau 13 goes public, it's going to be a enormous, transcendent change to your campaign. As a matter of fact, you might just want to start your campaign from that point on. Because, we, first of all, we've never described what that Omega-level event was, and that is going to inform a lot of the things that happen. 
but there the opportunities for chaos for change and transformation in the bureau 13 setting as it is in the published books is really without limit it's really up to your imagination and we've tried to talk about some of the interacting factors that would all be involved in this frothy mix of ex- of adventure and death quite possibly but also wonder so we think that you should seriously think about it. I don't know if we're ever going to release this as a version of the game. We might certainly release it as a supplement at some point. But we hope that you have enjoyed this and that you begun to see the possibilities of looking at the traditional characters that have been in the Bureau 13 books for almost 35 years now in a whole new light, different than you've ever thought, and perhaps... Use it now in smaller ways to change your campaign, but maybe make that really big step to suddenly let the Bureau go public and see what happens. We hope that you've been able to see things differently now that we've had these few sessions, and we promise you that we're not going to spend any more time on this. (laughs) We're going to go back to our standard fare of crazy, amazing things that exist in the Bureau as we know it and love it. And we'll have more of that. Or we'll have something else entirely different next week. But until then... This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Eric. It's all about having fun with friends. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, cause we're some bad mothers. This is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.